0: First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you for all that you've done, God, for making yourself known to us, God, for loving us when we are your enemies. God, we thank you for your word where you speak to us, and we just pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning as we strive to know more about what you're like and what you want us to do with our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, and I hope that you're doing well today. My name is Aaron, and I'm the church planning pastor here, and I'm excited to share with you in our our cancel culture series our next message. But before all of that, I want to talk about baseball So I love baseball. My family loves baseball. Any given night of the week, you could probably find us at the baseball field because we have many kids on many different teams, and I'm looking up uh, on Zillow uh, Apartments. Uh, at the ball field, so we can save uh, travel time because we're there so often. I was there yesterday. We'll be there Tuesday, and maybe perpetually to the rest of my life. But one of the things, uh, little league is great. It's fun watching the kids out there, and, and they're you know they're trying and they're struggling. And and uh, when we bring uh, when we go to games, a lot of times it's a family affair. So sometimes like big brother is playing, and the other kids are just running around on scooters and stuff like that. And so you see that all the time, right? Where there are kids oblivious to what's going on, and and but they're playing a game on the field, and then someone hits a foul ball, and you hear this from all the parents. If you've been there, you know, you hear, heads up, right, heads up, and then what do you do when you hear heads up? You, I mean, you look like right at what's coming at you, right, so it's not maybe that most helpful thing. But you hear heads up, and then you look, and you're watching the ball, and all you're watching is, I just hope this ball doesn't hit some of these kids that are not paying attention at all. And it gets close, and you hear, ooh, that was close. And everybody's like, wow, that was really close, really close. And then the next one comes, and you're just, you know. And so one of the things, I mean, we play baseball, but on our vacations, we like to go to baseball games. And Major League games are very different than Little League. You've got grown men just massive guys hitting the ball farther than a human should be able to, throwing it. And so when we're in the stands watching, I look at my kids and I said, you have got to pay attention. You have to pay attention when, it's, when, stuff is, when someone's at bat and the game is going on on the field, you guys have got to pay attention because you don't know if a ball is going to come back. And so I, I, I was watching this video and this is, I, I want to give you an example. I want to put you in the ballpark in, in an example of what this could look like. Watch this. Balls in one strike. Uh, let's take a look at the catch by this young fan right here. Oh, Save my dad. Dad was looking at a pretty girl, hit him right in the side of the head almost. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> killing me. <laughs> dad, I just saved I love that video so much. Uh, a random uh, Giants-Phillies game in the middle of who knows when, and that dad, uh, that dad just got saved a hospital bill by his son who was paying attention. That's exactly what I would hope my kids would do for me, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not paying attention, and they stick that glove up there. I, I couldn't be more proud uh, of my kids if they did that for me, but um, they might not, so I might end up in the hospital. Uh, I love that video because that dad was so not paying attention to what he needed to be paying attention to. He's sitting too close to the action, not paying attention, and he almost went to the hospital. I mean, can, he almost changed the way his face looked, right? But thankfully, he had a son that was paying attention. And when we, when we think of um, the Bible and we think of, uh, of what it means and what it is, that's what I want to call us to do. I want to call us to, to pay attention this morning. And in this series, Pastor Scott started this series with the idea how we're not supposed to cancel each other. And two weeks ago, he talked about how many in our society today try to cancel God. We don't have a gospel of cancellation. We have a gospel of reconciliation. And today we live in a world where people are trying to cancel the Bible. And we are going to actually go to the Bible this morning and read what the Bible itself has to say about that very idea. And the question comes up, I think, why are people trying to cancel the Bible? Why in the world? Well, I think people might want to cancel the Bible, because if you cancel the Bible, then you can live your life any way you want to. And I think that makes people bow up, and we try to get rid of it. And so what I want to do is this morning is to say, you can cancel the Bible, but it's done at your own risk. Um, And today we're going to be in 2 Peter, and I will invite you to turn uh, with me there uh, to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to kind of camp there, and uh, this is the last of Peter's writings to other Christians from history. We know at this moment he's probably in a Roman prison awaiting execution by the Roman government, and there's an urgency to his letter. There, there's a sense of future in his letter. And, and starting in verse 13, we can kind of get this picture of, of what Peter is trying to do. In verse 13, he says, yes, I think it's right, as long as I am in this tent, he's talking about his body, as long as I'm alive, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing shortly that I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Pastor David Helm says Peter was aware that he was writing this letter to establish the church after his impending death. Or to put it another way, Peter was preparing the church for life without him. He was preparing the church for life without him as he knew his time was come. Um, another thing about this passage we're going to read this morning is kind of an aside. We, we sang about it. This is one of the strongest Trinitarian passages in the New Testament. As we read the verses today, you're going to see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all within a very short period of time. So that's, that's, an, that's an extra thing. But see if you, if you see that as we're reading through that today. But in this cancel culture world we find ourselves living in today, I want to make the case from the Bible that we shouldn't cancel the Bible. We shouldn't cancel it. We should pay attention to it And we should pay attention this morning because the Bible is a real account of real people. Read with me starting in verse sixteen. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty for he received for he received from God the Father. Honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain so here we have peter the first thing peter is making making sure that you know is that he didn't make any of this up all of these fantastic miraculous unbelievable stories you have heard about jesus and his disciples were true Peter's saying, I experienced them firsthand. I saw it. I heard it. I was there. Peter is telling all the stories that you've heard about Jesus, all the crazy things, his power, the miracles, him coming in the first place. It's the real deal. It's almost as Peter is saying, do you think I could have made something like this up? Like, do you think I've got the brain power to figure this out? There's no way. We were there. We saw it. We experienced it. It's real. And Peter's not just talking about himself experiencing it either. In verse 18, he says, "...when we were with him on the holy mountain." We had uh, Luke 9 read, which is the story of the transfiguration, where Jesus shone in all of his glory uh, with, with, in, in front of three, two, Peter and two of the other disciples. And they, they saw Jesus in his glory. They heard the voice of God the Father. It, it, Peter wasn't like, I wasn't by myself. There were other people. We heard him. We saw him. Peter's saying he literally heard a voice from a cloud talking I mean, and th- this is God the Father, the creator of the universe, telling J- in front of all these people, in front of the people that were there, that Jesus was his son. He was declaring in an audible voice where people could hear that Jesus was God. Jesus was a part of the Trinity. And Peter saw it. Peter's life wasn't devoted to a legend or a myth, but a real person That literally walked the earth, that literally spent time with him and his friends, that was literally executed, even though he was innocent of all charges, he literally was placed in a tomb, literally came back from the dead three days later, and literally ascended into heaven in front of his very eyes. This is not a story. This is a real person and a real account of what happened. The Bible isn't a book about the legend of Jesus or the mythical stories and fantastic tales of Jesus. It contains eyewitness accounts of actual people who walked with him, talked with him, saw him die, saw him come back to life, and saw him ascend into the clouds. We need to pay attention today because the Bible is a real account of real people, Peter is saying the Bible, is God's word is trustworthy. You can believe it. And when we study the Bible and read the Bible, we see the Bible is concerned a lot with facts and figures and people and places and events and wars and and, uh, bank accounts and all these things. There's a lot of specific details in the Bible. In fact, the authors of the Bible seem to go out of their way to include these things. And that's what's fun, reading with your kids. you read and it's like a genealogy, and they're like, oh, you know, it's like, well, there's a reason it's in there, right? And they'll get it one day. But the Bible is full of examples of people and places and things and events that actually happened that are confirmed in other places. One of the, I've got a chart I want to display and it's hard and you can go back and watch it and pause it. Or if you're watching online, you can pause it later. And this is from Alex McFarland in his book, The Ten Most Common Objections to Christianity. And this is just a, a sampling of some of the archaeological evidence of places mentioned in the Bible that have been verified by archaeologists. In the Old Testament, they found the city of Jericho, the city of Nineveh, the city of Ur, which had ziggurats in it, which were probably similar to the, the, the Tower of Babel that was constructed. In Babylon, they found a clay fragment alluding to the power the tower of Babel you have the valley um, you have Megiddo you have the tomb of Joseph reference in Genesis 4 You have King Jehoiakim mentioned in 2 Kings 25 and some some instances of his name being on walls and pottery and things like that. You even have this crazy one, the city of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 26. It was prophesied that it would be destroyed and they wouldn't be able to rebuild it. Well, they found the city of Tyre completely destroyed and it was underwater. It was in the Mediterranean Sea. And last time I checked, we don't build cities under the water. So the city was destroyed and, and, and they found it. They found it in the New Testament. You have places like Bethany and Bethlehem and Bethesda mentioned in the Bible, found today, Caesarea, Cana, where Jesus' first miracle took place, where he turned water into wine. They found an inscription in 725 AD referencing that miracle in that city. They found Capernaum, Emmaus, Jerusalem, Nazareth, and that's only a slice of the places mentioned in the Bible that we have physical, archaeological evidence that say they're real places, and, and more than that, more than that, Jesus believed the Old Testament was talking about real people and real events. As Jesus shared the Bible, he believed, Jesus believed that it was a real account of real events. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says, Jesus references Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sodom and Gomorrah, Isaac and Jacob, the manna in the wilderness, the serpent in the wilderness, Moses, Naaman, Zechariah, and even Jonah... Never questioning a single event, n- never questioning a single miracle, never questioning a single historical claim. When talking about marriage, in Matthew 19, Jesus even men- references Genesis 2:24 a- as an actual event to make the case of what marriage is supposed to be. So Jesus believes the Bible. And he makes an emphatic point to mention these, these people and places not questioning them once. We need to pay attention because the Bible is a real account of real people. And sometimes when we, we, we see events, we see news today, sometimes it's just, it's crazy. You're like, there's no way that happened. And oftentimes we find out to the case that, that, that it didn't happen. So if you go back to February, if you think of uh, when the war with Ukraine and Russia started, uh, on social media accounts, you saw this, this, this folk hero started to emerge. And he's a pilot, and he's called him the Ghost of Kiev, and he would, they had a video of him flying around the town, and apparently he shot down six Russian aircraft, and some people said as many as 40. And it was like this big deal. It's like Ukraine is fighting back against the Russians and all these things. Well, in late April, the Ukrainian Air Force Command admitted that there, there was no ghost of Kiev. They, he was a legend. They created him to raise the morale of the country, which it did, and the military, which it also did. And they said while he wasn't a real pilot, It was kind of a a sampling of a bunch of different stories, right, Made smushed together into one person. And they said his image embodied the spirit of the Ukrainian people, but the ghost was too good to be true. It wasn't really true. But that's not true of the Bible. The Bible's subjects, the people who wrote it and lived it, believed it was true. There was no retraction statement put out. It's a real deal. We shouldn't cancel the Bible. We should pay attention to it the Bible is a real account of real people. Second reason we need to pay attention this morning is the Bible is exactly what we need. Let me read verse 19. And let me just say, this is just an aside here, if you have your Bible with you or whatever, highlight this verse. I think this is one of the most important verses in the entire New Testament, and I'm going to geek out on it a little bit because I think it's awesome. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. Confirmed which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So the New American Standard describes this. Here, Peter says, is the prophetic word confirmed? We have the prophetic word confirmed. The New American Standard says, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure. Made more sure. There are a couple theories as to what, what this means. The first one is, Peter's saying the experiences that I've had, prove that the Bible is true. All the prophecies, what I saw, proves that the Bible is true. I'm not sure that's what it's saying. I think, it, I think the, the biblical, I think Peter is saying something far stronger than that. I think what he's saying is the prophetic writings, the Bible, the word of God, is more sure, more confirmed than even Peter's own personal experience. Let me say that again. What I think Peter is saying here is his eyewitness account of what happened with Jesus, what he heard, what he saw, what he experienced, is less sure than the word of God. You can trust the word of God more than what I, how I can trust my own eyes, ears, and senses. That's what I think he's saying. And that is a mind grenade of a thought to me. That Peter is saying, I was with Jesus, I saw him. I saw him perform miracles, but you don't need to trust my word. You need to trust his word more than anything that your own eyes even tell you. To me, that's just, that's unreal. I think what Peter is arguing is that we have something more certain than personal experience. We have something more sure than what our own eyes, ears, news feeds, whatever tell us and that's the word of God. Peter, at the end of his life, he knows he's passing along the most significant lessons that he can to a church that is soon going to be without him and his eyewitness account. And he's saying, you don't need me. You don't need my eyewitness account because you have the word of God, which is more trustworthy than anything I've ever seen. And, heard. and we know that Peter believes that sentiment because right on the very beginning of this letter, in verse 1, you can flip back there if you want, it says, Simon Peter, a bondservant of the Apostle Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, the same precious faith with us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, I've been with Jesus. I saw him. I was with him and I believe. You haven't seen him. You haven't been with him. You didn't see the miracles. You didn't see those things, but you have the same faith that I have. What I saw and experienced you haven't, but our faith is the same. Because it's not about the experience. It's about the word it's unreal. None of us in this room have seen Jesus. We haven't seen his miracles. I wasn't at the cross. I didn't follow him after the resurrection, but we have his word, which tells us all about it. And Peter is saying, you can trust that more than if I was standing here in your pulpit telling you everything that I saw. You can trust this more than you can trust that. Pastor David Helm says, He says it this way. He says, the word is a more sure light than anything Peter ever saw or heard. Seeing isn't essential for believing. Reading God's word is. It's such a big deal. It's such a big deal. And what are we supposed to do with that? That's a big McNugget, right? Uh, That we, we don't even have to experience it. We just need to read about it. And believe it. What do we do with that? Peter says it. He says, You would do well to heat it as a light coming in, shining in a dark place. You see, he's basically saying, Y'all better listen. Y'all better pay attention to these words because they're a light shining in a dark place. What's the dark place he's talking about? He's not talking about a cave. He's talking about our own souls. Our own heart is dark. And the thing that lightens our soul, the, our, our inner being, is the word. Of God shining like a million candle flashlight in the middle of the darkest place. That's what the word of God does. It's amazing. And Peter tells us right here at the end, he says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, he's saying, hey, all these things about Jesus in his word, it tells us he's coming back. So you better be ready. Let that light shine in your hearts because when he comes back, you're going to want to meet him as a friend and not an enemy. And later in this book, Peter really hammers that point home. And if you want to read this letter later. And, and, and the, the, the quotation of, of, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, this is, this is a quotation of, of Psalm 2 where it talks about Jesus. And it talks about the transfiguration. It talks about that event. It also talks about Jesus coming back one day. And so Peter's almost certainly referring to that. So Psalm 2 is an awesome song. Uh, read that later this afternoon. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really good one. And it'll solidify a lot of these things. We just don't have time to read it this morning. We need to pay attention because the Bible is exactly what we need. Peter argues that God's word is enough for us. It's enough. And Pastor Kevin DeYoung, in his book, called Taking God at His Word. He gives four truths of Scripture that demonstrate the reality that God's Word is enough. He says, first, God's Word is sufficient, meaning the Scriptures contain everything we need for knowledge of salvation and godly living. We want to know how to be saved. We want to know how to live for God. This tells us everything we need to know. Second, he says God's Word is clear. The saving message of Jesus Christ is plainly taught in the Scriptures and can be understood by all who have ears to hear it. You think about the gospel and its message, it's, it's such an unbelievable message because it could be understood by children, but it can be meditated on for a lifetime. And it could cause those in their 80s and 90s just to just think on it constantly. It can be understood by children, but you never outgrow it. Unbelievable message. It's so clear. The Bible is clear. God's word is authoritative. The last word always goes to the word of God. No other teachings, human experiences, church councils. Nothing takes precedence over scripture. And God's word is necessary. We need God's word to tell us how to live. We need it to tell us who Christ is. We need it to tell us how to be saved. We don't need an experience like Peter had. We need the word of God. Now listen to this. Let me say it even stronger than that. We don't even need Jesus himself being here telling you about his life because he's already told you here. And I'm not just making that point. Jesus makes that point in a parable. Remember the two men that one was in one place, one was in the other place? And the one that was burning, and, and, and he was just like, just let me go back and tell my family how bad it is. Let just just let me go back and tell them when they see me coming back from the dead, they'll believe me. And he's like, no, they won't. They didn't believe the prophets that came before him. If they didn't believe them, they're surely not going to believe you. I I hear just a lot of people saying, well, if I just saw Jesus, if I, Jesus talks about people that ask that very question, he says. Even if I was there, you wouldn't believe. Jesus came to the earth, this long awaited Messiah, and the very people he came to reach, what did they do to him? They nailed him to a tree. What makes us think we're any different? If you want to know God, if you want to know who God is, we look to Jesus, the Son, the exact image of the Father. If we want to know Jesus, we pay attention to the Word of God that's inspired by the Spirit. It's this Trinitarian formula. If we want to know God the Father, we look at Jesus. If we want to know Jesus, we look to the Word that's inspired by His Spirit. Because God's Word is enough, we don't overvalue church tradition. that's not in Scripture. We don't add or subtract the Word of God based on how we feel about it. We don't cancel parts or books of the Bible. We expect the Bible to be relevant of all to all of our life and we expect God himself to speak directly to us through its pages. The Bible invites us to hear God's words himself. We're talking about the creator of the universe and everything and everyone in this room invites us into a relationship to hear him through his word. This is how he communicates to us. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Um, one of the things that uh, I love to do, and I'm not great at it, but I like to I like to work with my hands. I like to build things. I like to fix things. Um, I don't like it so much because I've got a car that's been sitting in my driveway for six months I need to fix, and I just didn't want to do it. But I do like fixing certain things. And when we have a problem at home, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be like, well, I could just get a new one or... I could try to take it apart and see what happens, right? And so I've done that with a bunch of different things. And one of the things that we have is we have a washing machine, and it's great. Washing machines wash clothes, but this washing machine uh, had a problem. And maybe you can identify, maybe your washing machine has this very problem right now. When you start it up, everything is great. You're like, this is going to be great. I'm going to wash some clothes today. I'm going to be wearing a clean shirt tomorrow, maybe in a few hours. It's going to be great. But then as it starts to spin right? You know what I'm talking about. It starts to spin. It's starting to get some of that water out. It sounds like it's about to take off and shoot through my attic or explode or some, something bad. We started, it, and it's that drum just like banging against the side of the washing machine, and it's like, please stop. I don't. And, and It's just horrible. And so we're just like, okay, uh, we probably need to do something about this. And I'm like, we could fix this. We could figure this out. I am not an appliance repairman. I don't know if you know this, but what's better than an appliance repairman man is YouTube. And I, that's where I went. I went to YouTube and not only did I go to YouTube and I found funny videos of other things, I found somebody with the exact same model of washing machine that I had, exact. With the exact same problem that I had. And not only did they show me exactly how to open everything up, fix it, they sent a link to Amazon for the exact parts I needed that were so much cheaper than going to Samsung directly and getting the parts. Say, I mean, I saved probably $200 on that. And it was a step-by-step. It's like, okay, so once you have this, you do this, you do this, you do this, and I'm like, oh, I can do this. Well, the problem was uh, I left, I was gone. So the parts came, I'm not home, I'm ready to go. The the instructions were so clear and so exact. I watched a video with my wife and my wife doesn't like fixing things. And I get a video where I'm from out of town of that beautiful, perfectly working spin cycle on our washing machine because my wife took care of business and she got it done. And it is maybe, maybe even clothes are running in it right now. I don't know, but she fixed that thing perfectly. I, I, I like to say I fixed it and I didn't even have to be there. It was so, it was so clear. YouTube gave me exactly what I needed to fix this washing machine. And now we get the, the joy of doing laundry every day because we have seven people in our house. <laughs> we shouldn't cancel the Bible. We need to pay attention to the Bible because the Bible gives us exactly what we need for our lives. We need to pay attention as well because the Bible is greater than any book in history. Read with me in verse 20. In verse 20, it says, "'Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but of holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit.'" So Peter starts this section with two things, two negatives. He's saying no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, which what he means is no prophecy, no Scripture originates out of a person's personal understanding. Scripture's origin does not come out of somebody figuring out what's going on. It's not where the Bible starts. It's not where Scripture starts. And then he says, no prophecy ever came from the will of man. It wasn't human's idea to write the Bible. It has an origin beyond humanity. The author was not the one who decided I didn't want to do this. Inspiration came outside of the author. And he tells us exactly where it is. He says the Holy Spirit moved in people's lives and they wrote the book. He describes how scripture did not come about and then how it did come about. And the implication is if the if, if scripture originates from the Holy Spirit, we really ought to pay attention to it because it's not it's, it's not coming from this guy or that guy or, or this person or the other. It's coming from God himself. So we ought to pay attention to it. It it it's a really big deal. And we see this in Paul says the same thing in Second Timothy chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. Paul says, All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It, it's the same thing Peter is saying here, and it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Peter and Paul, they're talking about the scriptures, the Old Testament, right? is has is, is got what we need in it. It's inspired by God. That's where the origin comes from. But later we see in this book that we see the same is true of the New Testament. Later in 2 Peter, in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he mentions, he's alluding to the writings of Paul. And he's calling them scriptures. So they're recognizing that as scripture. And then Paul, in 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 18 quotes Jesus as he's quoted in the Gospel of Luke and calls it scripture. So you can see early on they're already recognizing the New Testament as scripture and, and the, the whole thing is, is, is true and the whole thing is, is inspired by God himself. And because it's from God itself, Peter's saying the thing is accurate It's accurate. You can trust it. If its source was not from humanity, it's not going to carry the same trappings and mistakes of humanity. It's coming from God, and God does everything pretty good, right? Uh, Only the Holy Spirit can take 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors in many different genres and create a cohesive story proclaiming salvation to the world through the person of Jesus Christ. The prophet Isaiah. And Jesus tells us God's word's not going anywhere. It's going to be around forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Jesus in Matthew 5, 18 says, For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until it is all fulfilled. Jesus is talking about punctuation. Even that's not going anywhere, but it makes sense because if God is the one that wrote it, he's the one that's sustaining it. Let's talk about manuscripts for a second. Manuscripts are are, uh, older, earlier quotations and copies of the Bible that we have. The New Testament right now has over 5,000 supporting Greek manuscripts in existence today that we can find with another 24,000 manuscripts in other languages. Some of the manuscript evidence dates to within a hundred years of the original writing. Alex McFarland describes it like this. He says, ancient copies and portions of the Bible that have been found far outnumber those of any ancient other work. Aaron, when you say far outnumber," what do you mean? I'm glad you asked. Seven manuscripts. So we guys know, you know Plato, right? Maybe you had to read them in school or college. How many manuscripts of Plato are around? Seven. 5,000 in the original Greek and 24,000 other languages of the Bible. Seven of Plato. There are, of Caesar's, the Gaelic Wars, another ancient book, ten known manuscripts. The record... For the greatest number of ancient scripts known to exist goes to Homer with the Iliad having been preserved in 643 known pieces. So you've got Homer and the Iliad at 643 and the Bible at 5,000 plus another 24,000 just added on. It's not even close. They're not playing the same game. They're not on the same level. It's the Bible and everything else. you talk about these manuscripts over time, how can we trust that they're reliable? That's a good question. How do we know that what we had from back then is the same thing that we have today? I think one of the most stark and compelling examples of that is the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you guys know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were found in the, the, the 40s or 50s in a cave in Qumran. And um, there were documents in there dated all the way back to 150 B.C. to 70 A.D. So they found some just crazy stuff and contained writings of scholarly Jews. It contained biblical writings, but it contained, like, government writings and tax returns. That's been going on for a couple thousand years, right? Um, Before their discovery, the oldest known copy, the oldest known manuscript that we had of the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament was from 900 A.D., okay? Okay? And that book was written in 750 BC, 900 AD, when they went to the cave and they found they found a complete copy of the Book of Isaiah, dated at 150 BC. So to understand, they found a copy of the Bible of the Book of Isaiah that was more than a thousand years older than what they that anybody had. It is the archaeological find of a generation to find something. That old and that complete. And so you're like, well, like, you know, I play the telephone game with my kids. We have a lot of fun. A lot of gibberish comes out at the end. You say something to one person, it goes down the line, and before you know it, you have something new. It's like, well, surely that happened with Isaiah. I'm going to put this up on the screen. Despite the thousand year difference in manuscript age, an examination of the two found that not a single word, not a single punctuation mark had been changed. You're talking a thousand. That, like, like, we're not that good to get that right. I can't copy what I wrote here tomorrow and get the same thing. How does that happen? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in That, that is a super, they're, 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 this is a supernatural thing we're talking about here. It is different and greater than any other book you've ever seen. We should pay attention to the Bible because it's the greatest book in, in history. When I think of uh, uh, you know, there are a lot of debates on the, on greatness and what's the greatest and all this stuff. Uh, I talked about YouTube. My kids love watching Dude Perfect. If you don't know what that is, you should check it out. It's awesome. Uh, our house has like scars all over the house because of the trick shots they try to do and the damage being done and. They have a top 10 list where they rate like their top 10 cereals and candy bars and movies. And it's fun. It's all good fun. We can argue. I love sports. We can argue about who's the goat, the greatest of all time in football. Is it Tom Brady? Because he's got all the Super Bowls and basketball. Is it Jordan? Is it LeBron? Is it all that you can argue about? Who's the greatest at this? Who's the greatest soccer player? Who's the greatest this? When we're talking about the Bible, there's no arguing that it is the greatest, most influential book the world has ever seen, and it's not a debate. There's no debate. It's not even close. There's not even a close second. It's the Bible and nothing else. We shouldn't cancel the Bible. We should pay attention to the Bible because it's the greatest book in human history. We shouldn't cancel the Bible. We should pay attention because the Bible is a real account of real people. God's word is trustworthy. Jesus and his disciples believed that the Bible was a true account of real people interacting with a transcendent God. We shouldn't cancel the Bible. We should pay attention to it because the Bible is exactly what we need. God's word is sufficient for your life right here today, this morning. The scriptures contain everything you need for knowledge of salvation, for godly living. It can't tell you how to fix a washing machine, but it can tell you why you should do it and what words to avoid when doing it. (laughs) We shouldn't cancel the Bible. We should pay attention because the Bible is greater than any other book in human history. God's word is accurate. It's accurate. We can trust it. It's sufficient for our lives. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, don't think that your doubts about the Bible or unique or anything new, don't think God himself has left you in the dark with no place to land. Now, let me ask you this, this morning, are you paying attention to the Bible this morning? Or is it just another book on your shelf? And we need to pay attention to this book because we've been doubting it since the very beginning of human history. Let's go all the way back to the beginning and it's gonna be on the screen. Genesis 3 verse 1 says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? The very first temptation recorded in human history starts off with the the devil saying to humanity, Did God really say? Can you really trust him? Can you trust His words did God really say, and we've been repeating that refrain for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Why do we doubt it? Because this book tells us how we ought to live, and I don't want anybody telling me how I should live. So it's easier for me to pretend this is not true than to deal with the implications of if it is true. And my my question to you is, are you doubting this morning? Have you already canceled the Bible in your own mind, and your heart. I don't know where you guys are at. I know some of you. I don't know all of you. I don't know your personal experience with the Bible. The Bible has been used in some pretty horrific ways by some pretty horrific people to justify some awful things in the past. And maybe that's your experience. I don't know. But I do know that the Bible is a real account of real people. I know that the Bible is exactly what you need this morning. I know that the Bible is greater than any other book in human history. I know the Bible is the place where you can hear God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, speak. And I know the Bible is the place where God invites you to meet him. Do you want to meet with him? Do you want to meet God today? I've got an invitation to you. You've heard me get facts and information and data about the Bible. Just forget all that. Forget all that. If you want to know today if the Bible is true, read it for yourself. Read it this week. I'm going to give you a challenge. My invitation to you, the Gospel of John, one of the accounts of Jesus' life, takes two hours to read, front to back, two hours. It's like less than the Doctor Strange movie, right? So substitute that and just read the Gospel of John whether you're a believer, you're not a believer, you're skeptical of this whole thing, read the Gospel of John. Just read it. Read the account of Jesus' life when he was here on the earth. Read it. If you don't like John, pick another one. Two hours. Two hours this week. Read it in one sitting. Just read the whole thing. Before you read, I ask you to do this. Pray. If you've never prayed before in your whole life, pray. Pray that God would do two things. Reveal who he is and reveal what he's done as you're reading. Ask God, God, be less formal than that. Say, God, if you're, re- if you're real, show me. If you're real, you got to show up. And I promise you he will. I promise you he will. The Bible tells us, God, God tells us to do that very thing. In Psalm 34, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Why don't you do that this week? Read his word and then tell someone about what you read. Tell someone about what you, what, you, what you experienced. That's my invitation to you. We can't cancel the Bible. This thing is too big to be canceled. We can ignore it, but we do best to pay attention to it and its words. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you today for this amazing book. And God, we're not worshiping the words on the page. God, we're worshiping the ones who put them down and inspired them. God, we're worshiping you. We're worship, we just thank you for leaving us with a, with a witness and a record of what you're like, what we're like, how we should live our lives, God. The salvation you provide through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We're so thankful for that. And I just pray if there's anyone this morning doubting you or your word, that they would taste and see that you are good, God. They would read your word and they would meet you and encounter you in a supernatural way in your word. And I pray, God, for those of us that believe, maybe we've, we've, we've shut off the Bible because of whatever, because of indifference. God, I pray that you'll help us to read it. Be people of the book, God, because we know we can meet you in there. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. And I'm just gonna stand up here up front. If you just want, I'd love to pray with you about it. If you want to pray for anything else, if you want to meet Jesus this morning, he wants to meet you. You can come tell me about that, and I will show you how to do that. So let's sing. You stand. Just stand. Let's sing.